Hey. What is up, everybody? How's it going? Dude, it is going so good. So yeah. good, man. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait for 2024, man. It's going to be such a good year. Mm. Have no idea. So excited. Are you doing anything for New Year? No, man. I'm sitting home tonight. I'm enjoying the nice night, relaxing, because I got work at 11 tomorrow. So, you know, take the night off. But how about you? What are you doing? Um, well, I was trying to decide if I was going to go to my sister's or not. Um, tomorrow's my mother's birthday. Oh. So um, that means if I go up there, um, I can't really stay because, unfortunately, my sister uh, has a dog uh, that doesn't particular doesn't really like other dogs. So mm. and it could be a night full of fighting if I bring Max with me. And oh, uh, he hasn't experienced cats yet, so I don't know how he would be with cats. But I'm sure, I'm sure you get along with the cats. But so uh, my sister's uh, place is about two hours from here, so nice. that means not staying, driving back uh, tonight, Whoa. and then having to go back up there tomorrow because it's my mother's birthday. Yeah. So I'm probably just going to stick around here tonight and. Uh, just go up watch tomorrow, a little right? bit of uh, the New York, uh, the New York Rock and Eve, or whatever they call it. And, there you go. And uh, just uh, celebrate with that. I think Matt was doing a show too, wasn't he tonight? I think he's. He like, might. He might. Show. Yeah. I think he might actually. Yeah. I know. So I might pop on there if he's doing a show because I know he's going to be inviting people. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what it, what's going to happen. But during the day today, I, I had things to do around here. Unfortunately, uh, a shelf broke in my closet, so I had to fix that today. Ugh. So uh, yeah, so but I did get a I get a chance to watch uh, the first part of your show. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know what you guys were doing and the questions that Jonathan was asking. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was really weird, pretty, right? Yeah, it was pretty cool. And uh, I didn't get to watch the whole thing, but I'll go back and watch the whole thing. And right. uh, but I did share it. And uh, to, appreciate I think, it. I think I shared it to what seven pages. I think. Yeah, no, I appreciate and, that. Yeah, no Thank worries, you. man. And uh, yeah, but it was good, and it was it was good to see you guys on uh, early in the afternoon. Um, yeah, we had to switch times because when Hunophobia comes back on, you know, I have to make sure or through the lens. Oh, that's what I meant. Sorry, through the lens. I'm so used yeah. to Hunophobia no, now. No, without no, through no, the lens. Okay. You're right. Yeah. Through the lens, I meant to say. Sorry. Well, but, yeah. it, you know, it's good because I spoke to Lex on. Friday. Oh, did you? Yeah, Friday, like at four thirty in the morning, my time. Of and, course, yeah. uh, he called me, and not he he forgot about the time difference, and yeah. uh, so he called me, and uh, yeah, he's coming back. He's coming back to through the lens, like I've been telling everyone. Yeah, um, there's yeah. been a lot going on in his life. He does have a big surprise uh, that he's going to make an announcement about. I'm not going to share that surprise. That's his. That's his yeah. surprise to share. And um, and he's also going to set the record straight on why he left. And uh, like I've been telling people, he left because of family. And then on top of that, uh, he's been working seven days a week. Mm. And so he hasn't had a lot of time. And that time that he has had, uh, he's spending it with Nadine. And, yeah. and he should be. And then also yeah. spending it with family because of what happened back in the summer. Yeah. So uh, there was a lot. And again, I'm not going to, I know what happened now. I didn't know what happened. Well, I knew his, I knew his uncle passed away, but there's a lot more to that story that I didn't know. And that's a story yeah. for him to share if he wants to share it. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm looking forward to having him back. And I've, I told him, I, to be honest, been too long. 
I haven't been enthusiastic about doing the show at all without him being there. And I told him, and he heard it, by the way, because he had the times that I have done the show, he's heard it. I, I said, I am going to play this intro until he comes back. Um, it worked. Yeah, it worked. Playing the same intro, so nice. you know, nice. um, he's uh, he's uh, I'm glad he's coming back. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna sit down after Jan, like in January, um, and decide uh, what we're gonna do, how he's gonna come back, if we're gonna do an up, we we might do an update show, cool. um, just updating on what what he's been up to. Uh, he's been working on his videos as well. So uh, there's a lot. So we might just do a show on update on where he's been. And then down the road, we're going to bring through the lens back. So uh, it's, 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 it's exciting. And I'm glad he's coming back. And I know a lot of people out there have missed him as well. So I'm really, really super excited to have him come back. So, but today's show. Today's show. (laughs) You know what I always say, right? Yes, go ahead. I always say that uh, uh, this one's a crazy one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, I think every crazy ones. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, every one that we've done is crazy, but yeah, yeah this one's now two. So. <laughs> yeah, too crazy. Now, have you done any research on these two since I told I, you we were doing the show? I did a very little, but I didn't yeah. want to dive deep into it because I want to watch this because I don't want to be spoiled. You know, I want to actually yeah. be my reaction to be real, you know? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because this basically happened right in my backyard. And oh, wow. um, they always say Canadians are really super nice. Well, these two are not. Yeah. And uh, they're not ones to say sorry. <laughs> and, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, these two are definitely, um, definitely uh, two interesting individuals. And like I said last last week, I think she had a lot more to do with this. Um, but it's interesting. And I'm obviously I'd, I've only watched part of this. Um, obviously, I know the story, but I only watched part of this video. So I don't know if it's in this video. And if it's not, then I will talk about it at the end. Um, but I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm sure it's in this video. But anyways, I can't say what it is. But, you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't want to ruin it. But uh, yeah. Paul, Ber- Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka were considered the Ken and Barbie killers. You'll, you're going to see why, um, a very, very good looking couple, um, that you would never expect or suspect, um, them. How it always is always like that, man. Yeah. Yeah. Go Broncos. The Broncos. I'm not a football fan. I'm not no, he didn't say it. he didn't say it earlier, so he had to get it out. You know, oh, that's okay. John. Yeah, you know John. He's Thanks, the guy. Uh, that oh, out. Yeah, yeah. Thank <laughs> you. And uh, before we got started, we got uh, we have Vicky in the room. Hi, Vicky. Happy New Year to you as well. And then obviously Jonathan's comments. He's obviously a Denver fan. He's from Colorado, right? Yeah, he's from yeah, Colorado. Yeah. His, dad, his dad actually played for the Broncos. His dad, really? was a, his dad is Jonathan Keyworth, who is a running back. For the uh, Denver Broncos, I actually have his card right there, signed autograph card from them right in my bag over there. Now, is there any like old footage that you can watch on YouTube? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Cool. yeah. Maybe I'll check yeah. it out. Maybe oh, I'll yeah. It's pretty out. cool. I'm not sure who this is. Um, it's a Facebook user. Uh, if you want to say your name in the comments, uh, then we'll know who you are. And then he, I'm not sure who this is. Well, Hello, gentlemen. You. And thank Hello. you for stopping by and uh, checking us out. We have a good uh, we have a good documentary here. 
So, uh, yeah. So why don't we get started? You ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. There we go. Real rapist strikes in a suburb outside Toronto, Canada. The nature of the beatings, what the victims had endured, um, clearly told us that we're dealing with a sexually sadistic offender. Years later, a serial killer brutally targets young girls in another Canadian town. It was gruesome. Who could kill a young teenage girl and dismember her body? Fear sweeps across southern Ontario. The bloody trail leads police to a pair of unlikely suspects, a young, beautiful married couple. The idea that these were the bad guys, that they were capable of doing anything so vile, is something that's hard for us to comprehend. She assaulted her sister. It was absolutely mind-boggling. It's the most sensational and probably one of the most sinister cases in Canadian history. Saturday, June 29, 1991, at a quiet recreational area near the town of St. Catharines in Ontario, Canada, some fishermen make a horrifying discovery. At one end of Lake Gibson, they notice several concrete blocks partially submerged in the water. They take a closer look and are shocked to find what appear to be pieces of human flesh protruding from the cracks. Niagara Regional Police searched the murky waters for more clues. They find a total of eight concrete blocks. Each contains body parts. We believe the party to be a female, young female. It could be between 14 to 24 years of age. The victim is identified as 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey from the nearby town of Burlington. She had been missing for two weeks. The same day her body is found, a young couple exchange wedding vows 16 miles away in the quaint town of Niagara on the lake. Their fairy tale wedding is complete with a horse-drawn carriage. At face value, it was a beautiful wedding, but uh, if you talk to the friends and the relatives, uh, everybody knew that it was just a big charade. 21-year-old Carla Homolka and 26-year-old Paul Bernardo appear to be the perfect couple, but friends and family suspect Paul has been unfaithful. What they don't know is far worse. April 16th, 1992. Less than a year. Yeah, just to answer uh, Chris's question, yes, this is yeah. part of Niagara Falls. And I will let people know, I lived in the town of Burlington for about 11 years. Wow. Yeah. Here after Paul and Carla's wedding, 15-year-old Kristen French goes missing from her hometown of St. Catharines. Two weeks later, on April 30th, 1992, Kristen's parents' worst fears are realized. 
A man searching for scrap metal finds the body of their daughter in a ditch on the side of the road in Burlington. Kristen had been sexually assaulted, beaten, and strangled. Her body was dumped less than a quarter mile away from the cemetery where Leslie Mahaffey was buried a year earlier. Police consult with FBI profiler Greg McCrary. They suspect there may be a connection between the two young murder victims. Those crimes are very unusual to abduct and murder young women. And there was a sort of a polarization here. One was abducted in Burlington and the body was in St. Catharines. The other was abducted in St. Catharines and the body was found in Burlington. It sort of connected the crimes geographically at that point. The location of the bodies and the viciousness of the attacks lead police to suspect this is the work of an experienced killer. This was no kid that was just starting a criminal career. This is somebody who had developed a degree of criminal sophistication over the years. Police also believe the culprit may have an accomplice after eyewitnesses report seeing the victim talking to two people just before she disappeared. What no one could imagine is that police would eventually tie the crimes to these seemingly innocent, beautiful newlyweds. They were attractive looking, they were intelligent, they were in love. The idea that these were the, the bad guys, that they were capable of doing anything so vile is something that's hard for us to comprehend. Paul and Carla would be linked to not only the murders of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French, but also the killing of Carla's own sister and the rapes of more than a dozen other women in southern Ontario. Their story would generate headlines around the world about the systematic failure of police to catch them and the couple's intense obsession with each other. When Carla Homolka first met Paul Bernardo, she was a 17-year-old high school student who worked part-time at a pet store. He was 23, training to be an accountant, and would soon graduate from the University of Toronto. October 17, 1987, Carla is attending a pet food convention in the town of Scarborough, outside of Toronto. She and a co-worker are having a late-night snack in a hotel restaurant when Paul walks in. As soon as Paul Bernardo walked in the door, and laid eyes on Carla Hamoka. There was, as the friends describe it, there was electricity in the air. It was uh, love at first sight or lust at first sight, whatever you want to call it. Paul stands over six feet tall with boyish good looks and captivating charm. Carla is immediately attracted to his handsome appearance and his outgoing personality. Within hours, they are in her hotel room having sex. My sense is that Carla was extremely insecure and was looking for a strong man. Their intense attraction will eventually spiral out of control with horrific consequences. They call it a, a match made in heaven, but in this case, it was clearly a match made in hell. I love that. Yeah, I love that. October love that. 1987. When 17-year-old Carla Homolka first met Paul Bernardo in Scarborough, Ontario, it was lust at first sight. Carla believed 23-year-old Paul was the man of her dreams. But he was a man with dark secrets. And I'm just going to let people know that uh, don't know anything about Toronto. Uh, Scarborough is part of Toronto. 
um uh, like uh toronto split up like we we have obviously downtown toronto but we have like north york which was where i live in which is part of toronto but it's like a suburb or something like that towards or scarborough's the same thing now with scarborough if people are are not familiar with toronto at all scarborough is a very um very very rough part of the town of toronto um there's a lot of gangs uh there's a lot of killings um there's there's a lot of theft scarborough is not the place where you want to live and canadians have gangs yeah. you people are so nice <laughs> yeah but no, they run around just... with, but they run around with fake guns and oh, pretend to shoot guns. each other oh, no, i'm just i'm just oh, yeah, i'm yeah. just kidding oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. um the gun laws are completely different here in canada than they are in the states like you are not allowed to carry a gun here in the in in canada at all and yeah. uh, even if you have a license to uh, to have a gun, you're still not allowed to carry it. You're only allowed to take it from your home to where the shooting range or wherever you're going. You're not allowed to carry it around uh, like you can in the States. But Scarborough is a very, very bad part of Toronto that people don't like to go to. So just I just wanted to say that. And she was a young woman who would do anything for it. The oldest of three daughters, Carla Homolka was a popular and pretty girl. She grew up in St. Catharines on the southern shore of Lake Ontario. In high school, Carla had several boyfriends, but no one like Paul Bernardo. He was six years her senior, and in her mind, the perfect catch. She bragged to friends about his maturity and good looks. And Paul was quite taken with Carla, too. It was a perfect match for Bernardo. He'd found his soulmate. He'd found the woman who would do anything. And ultimately, she did do anything. The youngest of three children, Paul was a good-looking boy with dimples and a sweet smile. But behind the happy expression was a little boy who had a difficult childhood. His mother was verbally abusive. His father, Paul discovered, was not his biological parent. This startling revelation occurred when Paul was 16. Around that time, Paul began peeking through his female neighbor's windows as they undressed. As he grew older, Paul's curiosity slowly escalated into something more aggressive. It would appear there's something very different in terms of his sexual makeup. From what I can glean, he wasn't necessarily a man who was terribly aroused by consenting sexual activity. Paul Bernardo tried to keep those sexual tendencies hidden. In September of 1983, he began taking classes at the University of Toronto at Scarborough. By all accounts, he was well-liked by friends and neighbors. One of the most horrifying things is that the, he seems so normal. I believe that this is quite common in his psychopathic personalities. They are often very charming, entertaining, life-of-the-party kind of people. He had several girlfriends in college who said they broke up with him when their sexual relationships became abusive. He became uh, fixated almost on, on violence towards women and on conquering women, on uh, going to, to discos and bars and getting them and having sex with them and getting them to do whatever he wanted. In the spring of 1988, a sexual predator was roaming the streets of Scarborough. By May, there were already seven attacks on women. We're supposed to warn women not to travel alone at night. The attacker would grab women as they got off the bus or walked through the park, pulling them behind bushes where he sexually assaulted them. 
Early on, these attacks consisted of fondling, but over a 13-month period, the assaults grew more violent. The media dubbed the attacker the Scarborough Rapist. Women were forced to perform intercourse, oral sex, and sodomy, and were sometimes beaten. Everybody knew about the Scarborough Rapist. Everybody was on their guard, and uh, it was a nightmare for many young women, and uh, it was a real nightmare for the women who uh, unfortunately happened to be pounced on by him. The Metropolitan Toronto Police Department took statements from the victims, but they couldn't get an accurate description. The women had been attacked from behind and didn't clearly see his face. All they could tell was that he was young and good-looking with light-colored hair. Police found another common characteristic among the attacks. The attacker forced the victims to call themselves degrading names, such as slut. Nobody had a clue who the Scarborough rapist was. The Toronto police were working diligently on the case. They'd taken as many as, I believe, 100 uh, DNA samples from potential suspects. In the fall of 1988, the Toronto police called an FBI profiler, Greg McCrary, to assist in the search for the Scarborough rapist. Over the next several months, McCrary analyzed police reports and was able to link four more attacks to the Scarborough rapist, bringing the number up to 11. This was a very dangerous subtype of rapist. It was a very anger-based, perhaps even sadistic in nature. Uh, they're rare, but they're very, very dangerous uh, uh, offenders. McCrary's concerns grew as the assaults became more serious. Not only were these women being brutalized, but we felt we were on the verge of perhaps this thing moving over the line into, uh, uh, into homicide, and that's what had everybody's attention. When one sees a serial rapist, there is a high probability that they're being driven by a sexual drive that's been misdirected and that they are going to continue to be driven in that fashion unless we intervene uh, through, through catching them. Special Agent McCrary developed a description of someone he thought police should be looking for. We felt this was more of a high-functioning, intelligent, psychopathic, sexually sadistic sort of offender. And he lives in the Scarborough area in a dependent situation, probably with uh, family members. Early 20s, uh, has a violent uh, relationship with women, even women that he's in a relationship with. When Paul Bernardo and Carla Hamalka first met in the fall of 1987, there had already been three attacks linked to the Scarborough rapist. Carla never suspected the man she was falling in love with could be linked to such brutal crimes. At first, Paul Bernardo showered her with flowers, with, with gifts, and, and treated her really well. He was a considerate person. He was a considerate uh, lover. Uh, he was uh, a nice guy. And she flaunted him something fierce. Paul and Carla's relationship quickly intensified, both physically and emotionally. Over the next year and a half, Paul drove to St. Catharines to visit Carla several times a week, an 80-mile trip. Her family adored him and wasn't concerned with their six-year age difference. Like 19-year-old Carla, her parents thought Paul was a perfect catch. In the spring of 1989, Carla graduated from high school. By the fall of that year, Carla was telling friends that Paul had been verbally abusing her, but she was always quick to forgive him. That December, Paul and Carla took a romantic trip to Niagara Falls. There, he asked her to marry him. She eagerly accepted. To her parents, he seemed like an excellent choice for a husband. 
he was good looking. He had ambitions to be a rap singer. He'd been trained as an accountant, had a degree from the University of Toronto. Certainly he had all the credentials to be a dream son-in-law. They set a wedding date for the spring of 1991. May 29, 1990, police released a composite sketch of the Scarborough rapist to the media. The composite sketch came out about the time we were doing the, the profile. One of the victims got a pretty good look. When the sketch was released, friends of Paul Bernardo were stunned by what they saw. Paul Bernardo's best friends had in fact contacted Toronto police and said, this artist's concept is a ringer for Paul Bernardo. During the summer of 1990, a serial rapist is terrorizing the Toronto suburb of Scarborough. Police release a composite sketch of the suspect. Now, what I want to say about this um, that was uh, interesting is, well, no, I don't know if it was interesting, but when this was all going on, because I re obviously I remember all this, but when this was going on, the cops, the police um, put a lot of fear into the public, like a lot of fear. And uh, I know of people, um, and that's why I'm saying I have some ties to this. I know of I know of some people that were actually interviewed. Wow! Um, because uh, people were so scared, and there was like there were posters everywhere as well, and uh, at least in the town of Oakville, uh, which wow. is just right next to Burlington. Um, uh, so there was a lot of fear and a lot of people. Now, obviously, a lot of these um, these uh, these uh, these rapes were happening in Scarborough, yeah. um, but they were happening in other places too. But mostly, I think most of them were happening in Scarborough. So, you know, somebody who studies human behavior like I do a lot, um, and I love neuroscience, I love all that type of stuff, and I love profiling. And one of the things that I've noticed about so far of this, you know, rapists and what we're going to learn coming up is that it's like he's getting gratification that he's putting this much fear in the cops to tell you guys to make so much fear happen. So I think it's building his, like, even more of his, like, psychopathic ego. tendency ego up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not going to be, it's not, it's not going to be here. Um, it's, uh, I don't think it's here, but if you go to YouTube, you just look up Paul Bernardo, the tapes, you can actually see, see him being interviewed now. Um, yeah, there's something else I'm going to say at the end as well. So I don't know if it's going to be here, but, uh, because I haven't seen this particular video. So yeah, here we go. Metropolitan Toronto police stations are flooded with calls. The man accused of more than a dozen sexual assaults in the Scarborough area bears a strong resemblance to Paul Bernardo. By November of 1990, several people, including Bernardo's own friends, have given his name to police after seeing the composite sketch. Police bring him in for questioning and request a DNA sample. The sample is sent to the Center of Forensic Sciences in Toronto, where it is put on a shelf with hundreds of other samples waiting for testing. Keep in mind that DNA still, even at that time, was relatively new. It isn't what it is today. There's all sorts of different technology today that we can get DNA readings very, very quickly. Around the time of Paul's questioning by police, he moves from Scarborough to St. Catharines. He and his fiancée, Carla Homolka, live with her parents until they can get a place of their own. 
The sexual assaults in Scarborough suddenly stop, but a rash of incidents begin to occur in the St. Catharines area. Carla and her family never suspect Paul. They adore him, especially Carla's 15-year-old sister, Tammy, who looks up to him as a big brother. But soon she becomes the target of his deviant urges. Desperately wanting to please Paul, Carla agrees to drug her younger sister so Paul can have sex with her. Part of her reasoning is that she'll give him Tammy's virginity in place of her yep. own. It will be Carla's Christmas present to her fiancé. December 23, 1990. After the rest of the Homolka family goes to bed, Paul and Carla invite Tammy to stay up late and have a few cocktails. What Tammy doesn't know is her drinks are laced with sleeping pills purchased by Carla. She used an animal tranquilizer in order to keep her uh, sedated while the two of them uh, participated in this uh, rape. Carla uses another drug stolen from the veterinary clinic where she works to keep her sister unconscious. She soaks a rag with the drug halothane and keeps it over her sister's face while Paul rapes the young girl. They videotape the entire episode. All this happens while the rest of the family is asleep upstairs. Most people videotape their family holidays and their, their children's first, their second, third, and, and so on, uh, birthday. But he liked to videotape, in his eyes, his sexual contrast. Paul then orders Carla to assault her own sister. On videotape, Paul rapes her, and so does Carla have um, sex with her own sister. But the plan turns deadly. After Carla rapes her sister, Tammy begins to vomit and chokes. Paul and Carla quickly dress her, hide the camera, and call 911. When paramedics arrive, the couple said... Sorry, guys, I'm going to stop this just for a second. Uh, I don't know if they said I might have missed it, but um, this, this happened twice. Oh, no, they didn't say twice. They just said once. So they, try, they tried once, and it didn't work. Um, she woke up, uh, but they did it a second time oh. at a, on a different day. As they had tried to revive Tammy after she passed out from drinking. Tammy is taken to the hospital, where in the early hours of Christmas Eve, she is pronounced dead. It never crossed anybody's mind that her own sister had participated in the killing. Although doctors find a mysterious burn mark on Tammy's face, where Carla held the halothane-soaked rag, they conclude that she died of natural causes. Paul and Carla claim the mark as a rug burn caused by their attempt to revive Tammy. Carla's parents view the death of their youngest child as a tragic accident, something that could happen to any teenager. Everybody kind of took it at face value, so to speak, and uh, wow, accidental death. Kids do drugs, kids drink. Um, how unfortunate, how tragic. A month later, Carla and Paul move out of the Homolka house and into their own home. They move into this two-story bungalow in Port Dalhousie, a small town near St. Catharines. On the outside, they appear to be the perfect couple, but behind closed doors, Paul begins to turn his aggression on Carla. He teases Carla that he is the Scarborough rapist and begins physically abusing her. Any thoughts Carla has of leaving Paul are diminished by her insecurities and fear that he will tell her parents about her involvement in Tammy's death. 
in this particular case, we have a, a man who is a serial rapist who meets up with a woman who ultimately ends up participating in further acts of sexual abuse and ones that are even far more serious. Paul Bernardo had given a DNA sample to police more than two months earlier, but it still hadn't been tested. Anytime offenders come into contact with the police and they don't end up in handcuffs, they're emboldened. Uh, they think they're better, smarter uh, than the police. June 15, 1991. Two weeks before Carla's dream wedding, Paul wakes her up in the middle of the night with a surprise, a young girl. 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. He had abducted Leslie from her own backyard, luring the teenager into his car with a cigarette. Paul intends to keep Leslie as a sex slave, but her true fate will be far worse than anyone could imagine. June 15, 1991, Port Dalhousie, Ontario. In the middle of the night, Paul Bernardo wakes up his fiancée, Carla Homolka, with a surprise. With him is 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey, a young girl whom he abducted and intends to keep as a sex slave. Together, the couple holds the young girl captive in their home, repeatedly assaulting her, all the while recording the attacks on videotape. After less than 24 hours, they strangle her, then cut up her body and encase the pieces in concrete blocks before dumping them in nearby Lake Gibson. It is two weeks before their wedding. Well, clearly the relationship between Paul and Carla was a very destructive one. These are two people that fed into one another and encouraged and supported one another would appear in doing things that were just, um, in some sense, unspeakable. On June 29, 1991, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka exchange wedding vows before more than 100 friends and family members. On the same day as their fairy tale wedding, fishermen discover the dismembered body of 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey encased in concrete blocks. The details of the young girl's murder send shockwaves through the region. It was gruesome. I mean, when you, when you imagine not only who could kill a young teenage girl, but who could dismember her body and dispose of it in such a, an ugly and, and heinous way. There was this massive veil of fear right across southern Ontario. Over the next year, the Niagara Regional Police attempt to find any clues that will lead them to the killer of the teenager. They call in FBI profiler Greg McCrary to assist with the search. McCrary had been asked to help with the Scarborough rapist case more than two years earlier. But he has no reason to think those rapes are connected to the murder of Leslie Mahaffey. Toronto police also don't make the connection to the rash of incidents in St. Catharines, so that information is not brought to McCrary's attention. I wish I had made that connection. I had no idea there were other rapes going on up there at the time either. Had I known that, I don't know, maybe, maybe that would have clicked for me. While the Niagara Regional Police look for clues to Leslie's murder, Carla Homolka settles into her role as a wife. But she finds that marriage has not quenched her new husband's thirst for virgins. In fact, Paul's deviant sexual demands escalate. After they were married, Paul demanded that Carla get some of her sister, Tommy's best friends, around to the house because he wanted to drug them in the same way that they drugged 
Tommy. Over the next year, Carla entices several young girls into their home. The newlyweds drug and sexually assault the girls. But unlike Carla's sister, Tammy, these girls survive, regaining consciousness with no memory of the assaults. Some of these attacks are videotaped. He was uh, obsessed with making himself into a star. It was very important for him to keep trophies or mementos that would confirm uh, how uh, uh, successful he had been on these occasions. With Carla's knowledge, Paul also continues to stalk women throughout the Niagara region. On April 16, 1992, Paul and Carla take an afternoon drive with the intent of bringing home a new sex slave. They are only a few miles from their own house when the couple spots 15-year-old Kristen French walking home from school. They turn into a church parking lot and wait for the girl to pass by. Carla was sitting in the passenger seat of uh, Paul's Nissan and uh, she, she said to Kristen French, excuse me, could you help us with directions? And she had a map out and poor Kristen had no idea what was about to happen to her. The couple shoves Kristen into the car and drives the short distance back to their Port Dalhousie home. It is not long before Kristen French is reported missing. Local police begin to investigate. We have no doubt from eyewitnesses that uh, Kristen was, ab was abducted from that parking lot. Witnesses tell police they saw the girl with two people in the church parking lot. They also report seeing the three drive away in a beige Camaro. In response to public fear about an attacker on the prowl, the Niagara Regional Police put together a team of investigators called the Green Ribbon Task Force. Now, what I want to say about this, and they didn't say it in this, um, but in fact, it wasn't, um, and stories, and there were all kinds of reports about uh, this, this happening in a parking lot with uh, the car and all that. But it actually came out later that it was Carla that lured her into the car, not Paul. Just want to wow. point that out. Yeah. Wow. Of course. They examine eyewitness accounts about a beige Camaro and reconnect with Special Agent Greg McCrary. It's a big hunt for this beige Camaro. Eyewitnesses were rock solid about seeing this beige Camaro. Police do not know at the time that this is a false lead. Paul Bernardo drives a gold Nissan. It's always a dilemma for law enforcement because we know eyewitness identification has been shown time and time again to be faulty. But you've got people witnessing the abduction and describing the car. You've got to go look for that car. The media begin to link the disappearance of Kristen French with that of Leslie Mahaffey one year earlier. I'd been a reporter for maybe uh, 15 years at the time, and I, all of my instinct, all of my uh, experience told me that this was really bad, that this was going to be a, a major, major story. Kristen's father appears at a press conference, offering hopeful words to his only daughter, should she be watching. We want to know that we are thinking of you and that everything can be done is being done. And we'll get you back real quick. Greg McCrary develops a profile of the suspect. I describe Sorry, one more time. I gotta stop it here. But 
Um, just to, and I know, um, just to let people know, uh, in the hauntophobia page, I am not seeing your comments, but, uh, I think some of them are coming up as Facebook user. So I know there are some people over there. So I just want to say hi. Um, but, uh, what, oh, I lost my train of thought of what I was going to say now. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, the girls. Um, no, I can't, rec I can't recall what I was going to say. No, I got thrown off track there. Um, oh. anyways. Uh, oh, stop us for that. Yeah. Oh. Of being a white male in his late 20s, um, probably with a history of sexually violent crimes, a history of domestic violence, he would beat his domestic partners. Based on eyewitness reports that there were two offenders, McCrary hopes that maybe he can get through to one of them. If we can drive a wedge in between them, there's likely to be a falling out, and we would like to very much be able to facilitate that. Paul and Carla keep Kristen French for several days, raping, sodomizing, oh, and beating I her. I know what I was going to say now. Um, okay. Apparently, they were talking about uh, the father and how he had that plea. There yeah. were reports, there were stories, obviously not confirmed, but there were stories that she was actually watching. Wow. They videotaped the assault to add to their collection. Finally, they strangle her. On April 30th, 1992, Kristen's body is found. Paul Bernardo has left the body of the St. Catherine's teen more than 30 miles away in the neighboring town of Burlington. Her body is discovered in a ditch near the cemetery where Leslie Mahaffey was laid to rest. While authorities attempt to link the two cases, local media feed the public's hunger. I mean, we covered it extensively, probably more than any other paper, but there was an audience and an appetite for that. As the hunt for a possible serial killer monopolizes the news, Paul and Carla's relationship becomes even more violent. In January 1993, a severe beating at the hands of Paul sends Carla to the emergency room. Around the same time, the DNA samples collected more than two years earlier in the Scarborough rapist case are finally processed. After sorting through hundreds of samples, Paul Bernardo is identified as the man responsible for the Scarborough rapes. He is now living 80 miles away in Port Dalhousie, where Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey were murdered. That was a moment where I was both excited and frustrated. They had identified Paul Bernardo now as being the Scarborough rapist. And then he had moved into this area and became prime suspect, I mean, number one suspect in this case. Bernardo had been identified and questioned based on a composite sketch of the Scarborough rapist more than two years earlier. At that time, he had also given a sample of his DNA. I think he was more brazen and more aggressive than ever, thinking that for whatever reason he'd beaten the system. After investigators connect the three cases, Reporter Alan Cairns gets the police tip of a lifetime. The guy said, uh, pull your Scarborough rapist files. And I remember, no, 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 it's, it's the Kristen French murder. And uh, the Leslie Mahaffey murder, he said, pull your Scarborough rapist guy files. It's the same guy. And I was stunned. Huge, huge story. Wow. Yeah. Holy crap. 
This was a crazy time, man. January 1993, Port Dalhousie, Ontario. Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka get into a violent fight, landing her in the hospital with severe injuries. Paul had attacked Carla with a flashlight, leaving her with two black eyes, a broken rib, and severe bruising. After less than two years of marriage, she decides to move out. Around that same time, Toronto police contact Carla to discuss the DNA results of the Scarborough rapist case. After more than a two-year delay, officials have identified her husband, Paul Bernardo, as the Scarborough rapist. Police suspect there may be some connection to the murders of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey, but a few leads. To question Carla, they bring along members of the Green Ribbon Task Force, the team investigating the murders of the girls. She thought to interview her about Both. the domestic assault. My opinion, they handled that interview exactly right because they didn't accuse her, they didn't overstep the bounds, but just by having Green Ribbon Task Force investigators there, that message was being communicated to her. After the interview with authorities, Carla breaks down and confesses everything to her family. She is afraid police already know or are close to discovering the couple's terrible crimes. On her parents' advice, Carla gets an attorney and tells him that Paul is the Scarborough rapist. She also admits to their being involved in the deaths of Leslie Mahaffey, Kristen French, and her own sister, Tammy Hamalka. Carla holds the key to putting away one of Canada's most notorious serial rapists and killers. But she will only agree to testify against her husband in exchange for a reduced sentence for herself. Her attorney began to cut a deal. And that, of course, was of tremendous interest, uh, you know, to all the investigators, being able to shed some direct light on these murders and what was going on. Carla makes a full confession to police. She confirms that Paul is the Scarborough rapist, then places complete blame on him for the deaths of all three girls. She says that Paul forced her to be a part of the attacks against her will. Carla also tells them that all the physical proof they need is in the couple's house on video. When it came together, it was the aha moment. It's the, uh, oh yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense uh, now. Um, that you could see that escalation, the escalation that we dreaded early on in the Scarborough rapes. Word quickly spreads that there's been a break in three of Canada's biggest unsolved criminal cases, the Scarborough rapist and the murders of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey. Police know they have to move fast before Paul Bernardo tries to make a run for it. February 17, 1993, police arrest Paul Bernardo. Investigators begin searching his Port Dalhousie home. I will confirm for you this morning that we have obtained the search warrant. We entered the premise and began our work. During a 71-day search, police cannot find the videotapes, which Carla claims showed the attacks on Leslie, Kristen, and Tammy. Carla's word is all prosecutors have to go on if they want to move forward and press charges against Paul Bernardo. Given her extensive knowledge of the crimes and her willingness to testify, Carla's attorney is able to arrange a plea agreement with prosecutors. They made a deal with Carla Mocha because they had no choice. They did not have direct evidence linking Paul Bernardo to the murder victims. 
In exchange for her testimony against her husband, Carla receives a reduced sentence for her involvement in the murders. The deal is kept secret from the public. June 28, 1993. Carla appears in court to face the charges against her. Although reporters are allowed in the courtroom, they are only allowed to report on the charges and a sentence. This restriction is uncommon in Canadian courts and frustrates many reporters. The publication ban uh, actually spurred the media to write even more about what they didn't know, to write even more about their unanswered questions, and to stir up public indignation about the public right to know being denied. It suddenly dawned on us how big this case was and how, how brutal and how awful and how psychologically twisted this case was. In court, Carla's attorney portrays her as an abused wife, forced to participate in her husband's criminal activities. Carla is convicted on manslaughter charges stemming from her involvement in the murders of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey. She receives two 12-year sentences. The terms are to be served concurrently. She had received what everybody thought was um, described as the deal of the century. What she had participated in, though, was not generally known publicly. The light sentence causes widespread speculation about a secret plea agreement. Since her plea was not allowed to be publicized, it was inferred that it must have been a guilty plea. According to the government, the plea agreement and the full facts of the case are being kept secret to ensure a fair trial for Paul Bernardo. The public is divided about being left in the dark. And I will say that's, and I'm going to be blunt, that's bullshit. Because what they really were trying to do is hide Carla's plea deal. Yeah. That's yeah. what they were really trying to hide. They didn't want the yeah. public to know because they were going to be outraged to find out later on because mm -hmm. she knew, obviously she knew she was involved yeah. um, to get this plea deal before they find those tapes. Yeah. Um, and again, people, you can go over to YouTube and you can look at, um, you can look at uh, an interview, the interview with Carla on um, when she, I think she was interviewed for almost a week. And um, and she said she left her husband and all that thing. And that's why she was finally coming out, because she knew if she was going to get arrested with Paul and seeing those tapes, she would have never, ever gotten a deal. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, hear no justice. See what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, yeah, this is crazy. Like, this is yeah. wild. No justice, speak no justice. The lies and ass. All we need to know is that justice is served. We don't need to know what the girls went through. Carla Homolka is sent to Kingston Prison for Women. In August of 1993, while in prison, Carla files for divorce. The next time she will see Paul is in court testifying against him. It is then that the full shocking details of the couple's crimes will be made public. The interest in this case was not sparked so much by the brutality of the of the murders it was it was essentially fed by uh, disbelief that such a an attractive man and such a beautiful young girl could team up and be involved in something so bad I mean uh, the Americans coined them uh, Ken and Barbie and uh, you know there was something to be said about that Ken and Barbie's darkest secrets will soon be revealed when the couple's missing videotapes finally surface Thank you.
May 18, 1995, Toronto. It's day one of Paul Bernardo's trial, one of the most anticipated murder trials in Canadian history. People line up for blocks to try and get a seat inside. Scarborough native Paul Bernardo pleads not guilty to nine charges in connection with the deaths of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French, including kidnapping, unlawful confinement, aggravated sexual assault, and murder. His now ex-wife, Carla Homolka, is already doing time in prison for her participation in the crimes. After agreeing to testify against Paul, Carla is serving a 12-year sentence. Inside the courtroom, the day begins with some powerful new evidence for prosecutors. Six videotapes found in the couple's home. That was the first time that they had direct evidence uh, against uh, not only Paul Bernardo, but Carla Homolka. Much to everyone's surprise, the tapes reveal a very different version of events. Carla had misled authorities about her involvement in the crimes. On the videos, she is seen fully participating in the attacks. Had the tapes surfaced earlier, they may have affected her infamous plea deal. The tapes were crucial evidence. They, they were the smoking gun. On one tape, Carla is seen raping her own sister. She assaulted her sister, captured on videotape. The idea that one sister would offer up a younger sister as some sort of a present without a gun being held to their head seems bizarre in the extreme. It was absolutely mind-boggling. In court, the defense maintains that any crimes committed by Bernardo stopped short of murder. We had this sort of history to work on, and all of his sexual assaults, the women had lived. It was only when he was in this very close interaction with, with Carla that they didn't. Paul Bernardo insisted from, um, right from the beginning, and uh, I'm sure does to this day, that he was not the killer and that Carla was. On June 19, 1995, Carla Homolka goes to court to testify against her ex-husband. She tells the court that she is a victim and that Bernardo was the mastermind behind all three murders. On cross-examination, the defense plays the videotapes, which clearly show Carla's participation in the assaults. She uses battered wife syndrome as her explanation, a claim sharply disputed by Paul's attorney. I'm not suggesting for a moment that she was um, um, not abused by him. What I'm saying is that um, she could not be classified as a person suffering from a battered spouse syndrome. I think in battered spouse uh, syndrome that we're talking about people having tremendous psychological abuse. As I see it, uh, she was more of an accomplice in these horrible crimes than a victim of these crimes. Paul Bernardo's trial lasts nearly four months. In an effort to spare the families more grief, the judge allows the jury to see the graphic videotapes while the public is allowed to hear only the audio portions. Professionally speaking, I was disappointed that we didn't see the tapes. Personally speaking, I'm glad we didn't see the tapes. The audio reveals Paul Bernardo's modus operandi as used in the Scarborough rape case. He got them to repeat over and over and over again that they'll do anything he wanted, that he's the king. After hearing the testimony of 86 witnesses, 
the jury of eight men and four women deliberates for eight hours before reaching their verdict. September 1st, 1995. 31-year-old Paul Bernardo is found guilty of all nine charges against him, including two counts of first-degree murder for killing 15-year-old Kristen French and 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. The parents of both girls are pleased that Paul Bernardo is behind bars, but their nightmare isn't over. Only the trial is over. Leslie is still not coming home. Paul Bernardo was sentenced to life in prison with eligibility for parole in 25 years. After his conviction, he also confesses to the manslaughter of Carla's younger sister, Tammy, and the sexual assaults of 14 other women in the Scarborough area. Those admissions lead the judge to declare him a dangerous offender, meaning he will likely spend the rest of his life in jail without the chance for parole. The controversy sort of rages around, did, was Carla given too light a sentence? Was she, did she get off on this thing, so to speak, get off way too lightly? And that's certainly the opinion of a lot of folks that, uh, that she is. I have my concern that she may be more psychopathic than Paul. Even though Carla Homolka misled authorities about her role in the assaults, prosecutors decide not to challenge the plea agreement. The decision, they say, is final. I'm not a lawyer, but as I understand the law, once the deal was cut in Canada, they had to honor the deal. Carla's plea deal becomes known as one of the worst in Canadian history. The media call it the deal with the devil. The controversy surrounding the Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka crimes does not end with the verdicts. The following year, the Ontario court releases the results of a six-month-long inquiry into the police handling of the Paul Bernardo case. They conclude that the investigation was hampered by numerous mistakes and that Paul Bernardo fell through the cracks simply by moving from one community to another. Since the inquiry, Canadian authorities implemented a new system specifically for tracking serial predators. Their goal is to improve communication among police departments. On July 4, 2005, 35-year-old Carla is released from prison after serving 12 years behind bars. Although she served her full sentence, some feel that was not long enough for the role she played in the crimes. My personal feeling is she got off light. Um, I think that she has more culpability for this than, than she was punished for. Um, but she's out. And uh, so all we can do now is hope that she doesn't harm anyone else. Unable to comfortably return to her hometown of St. Catharines, Carla Homolka decides to start her life over in French-speaking Montreal. She could come out in Quebec, basically an unknown person, and she could get on with her life and uh, become a normal person, and that's exactly what she's tried to do. Carla says she still has nightmares about the girls and feels remorse for what she did. She should be scrutinized. She shouldn't just be allowed to, you know, ride off into the, into the sunset. In February of 2007, less than two years after her release from prison, Carla Homolka gave birth to a baby boy. Carla Homolka has a tough life ahead. Uh, how do you deal with what happened there? And how on earth is she gonna break it to her child? What happened? 
she's out there in the community. And so we all, not only for her sake, but for all of our sakes, have to hope that she's going to do well. From my perspective, um, she had served her sentence. It was, uh, she's entitled to be released and she's entitled to go about her life as best she can. And um, that's the way the system is. Would I want her living next door? No. So that says a very much about this person. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. wild. That's yeah. absolutely wild. Um, there's a couple of things. Um, and again, I'm going to refer to going over to YouTube. Uh, you can watch uh, him being interviewed. Now, uh, one of the interviews, if you see it, um, he was. Uh, there was another girl that went missing around the same time. And her name was, I believe, Chris, Chris, Kristen Bain. And he was interviewed uh, for that uh, for that disappearance. Unfortunately, they couldn't prove anything, but he was interviewed for for her disappearance, and you can actually see that interview on uh, oh. YouTube. Um, I know we uh, during during, and I said it earlier um, when they broke up, she basically went to the police and. Uh, was giving her story that she was abused and, and all that stuff. So she had this plan. She had a plan to what she was going to do. Um, um, 100%. I guess the real disappointing thing, it took two years. But unfortunately, back in those days, DNA, um, yeah. it took that long. Um, but yeah, there was, there was some huge, huge uh, screw-ups uh, during this case. And they all came to light later, obviously, years down the road. But it's um, it's uh, it's probably one of the worst in Canadian history. But we will be showing another guy later on down the road that was probably worse than them. Wow. Yeah. So and uh, it's interesting. Do you and I know there's a few Canadians here um, in the, in the room right now. Yeah. Uh, do Sorry. You remember, <laughs> do you no, that's okay. I'm actually living in that area now. If you recall oh, yeah. the guy that drove down Young Street and killed 18 people. Um, he drove on the sidewalk and purposely killed and ran over people. Um, I'm actually living in that area right now where he did that. And great. Uh yeah. And yeah. um um I the gym that I used to work out at at uh yeah the gym that i used to work out at um uh, a guy i met there he was actually a uh prison guard and he was in the same prison as that guy oh wow uh, working in the same prison and uh the guy that i'm talking about is worse than these two is in the exact same prison oh my god apparently uh the guy that uh did the killings down the young street um Apparently he is, um, from what he told me, this guy is completely, um, and I, and I hate to say this because I don't like to say this about anybody, but he's not the brightest person in the world and he talks to himself a lot. Um, he definitely has, um, schizophrenia. he definitely has something along the, the, along those lines, but unfortunately he's not really being rehabilitated. He was just thrown in jail. Yeah, that's what happens. Um, and which, in that case, I think this guy, this uh, this guy should be going through some kind of real rehabilitation of counseling and stuff like that. But this other guy 
that we're going to eventually show um, is um, brilliant. He's a brilliant man. Apparently, he's got an IQ of he's got a high IQ. And I believe Paul Bernardo did as well. And if you watch the tape of him being interviewed, you can tell how brilliant he was. He was a very, very smart man. He was and, smart. He was smart, but he got greedy. He yeah. didn't stop his killing. If he had stopped his killings, they would have never caught him. Well, no, I don't even think that. I think if he would have stopped the rapes. That's what I mean. If yeah. he would have stopped his rapes, I meant. Sorry, yeah. I meant to say yeah. rapes. Yeah. And if he would have stopped, um, I don't think he would have ever been caught. Uh, but, um, yeah, in those times it was, um, and I remember it like, like it was yesterday and, um, it was a really, really bad time. And for people in the room that just came in the room, I actually knew people that got interviewed, um, got interviewed because they were suspected of doing these crimes. And, um, I actually knew a cop. Uh, that I said last week, that was a neighbor of mine, good friend, good uh, family friends. Um, he knows everything about this case. And I actually saw him a few years ago and I talked to a little bit about it. And unfortunately he couldn't talk about it, but um, uh, he worked, he was part of this case. Uh, and uh, he said, people don't know half of it. People don't know imagine. half of it. I can and, imagine. Yeah. And, um, but I'm curious about the Kristen, I believe her name was Kristen Bain. Um, I might be getting the first name right, wrong, but her last name was Bain. Um, they really suspect him of doing kidnapping her as well. Yeah. Um, but they can't prove it, unfortunately. So, but I'm kind of curious if there were a lot more people out there that unfortunately, uh, were sexually assaulted. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm sure there were, I'm sure there are. And, um, but uh this can is you imagine sorry can you imagine being no. one of the people that were sexually assaulted not even remembering what had happened and then finding this out years later and being like oh my god i went unconscious at their house and i woke up not remembering anything like can you Im i couldn't imagine the trauma that would come with that yeah you know what i, I mean and I mean, there's yeah it's just and i agree go on go on go on all i wanted to say was is that for people who don't know me don't know my family that well. My father was a, he was a subcontracted hitman for the Gambino family when I was little. And he, before he died, obviously I asked millions of questions and found out all the information I needed to find out. But he said, one of the biggest problems with all of these type of killers that do this type of stuff is that they have IQ really high, but then they get so greedy that they don't know where they stand and then they keep and they go past that point and keep going past that point and keep testing the police like what this guy did how he literally threw the girl's body where the other girl was buried yeah that is that is you like if you're really trying to get away with something you don't involve anybody not a wife a spouse not nobody okay and you don't and, and you don't do what he did if you're yeah. that smart so going to what shannon said he you're not shannon i mean chris he said, seems a lot of these killers do have an IQ. They have a very high IQ, but they're very stupid for how high IQ they are. Yes. I, I, to be honest, I completely forgot about this. Oh, wow. Newspaper clothing found during the police search of Bernardo's house described a rape that occurred in Hawaii during the couple's honeymoon there in summer of 91. Yeah. I, wow. um, I, I completely forgot. I completely forgot about that. I do remember that. But, um, 
Yeah, it's it's very sad. And and I want people to understand the reason we're doing this is just, you know, um, we're just bringing awareness and yes, uh, we completely support the families and yes. and uh, feel horrible for the families. Yes. And uh, we just uh, we just want to bring attention to this because we feel it's necessary. And and, you know, and how how bad these people were and. And uh, Carla Homolka should still be in jail, to be honest, for killing her sister 100%. and doing what she did to her sister. And uh, there it is, Elizabeth Bain. Thank you, Chris. There we go, Elizabeth um, Bain. Yeah, but um, it's it's an unfortunate thing. And to, for it to happen right in my backyard is even more scarier, um, to be honest. So, But yeah. that is it for today's show. AJ? I uh, just want to say one last thing. I just want to say that this was an, a crazy documentary that um, I'm glad I didn't look into beforehand because I wanted to be as raw reacting to this as possible. And finding this out, it's a very interesting but very, very sad, sad story that so many people's lives are ruined because of these two people. And one of them is walking free with a baby in her arms. That goes and shows why we have to bring awareness to this to show people that our system is broken. Okay. Yeah. Maybe even in Canada, as we're seeing now, how broken it is, but come to us. Us is so broken. It's not even funny. So seeing now that how Canada is broken, this goes to show that this is a constant occurrence throughout the entire world where the system is broken and needs to be revised. And it's just so sad to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I want to thank everybody that came in the room today. And you know what? Today's New Year's, New Year's Eve. Yeah. I want to wish everybody a happy new year and hopefully uh, coming 2024, uh, there will be a lot more positivity out in uh, the internet world. Um, I know I am going to be flipping the page and uh, being a lot more positive and uh, trying to get away from the negativity. So um, I, Never. I, hope you, I hope you, I hope everybody does the same. You know, there's there's a saying that I, I always say to myself, and I like this saying uh, before I say my goodbyes. Um, don't let yesterday use up today. And that's something I say to myself all the time. And I want to thank everybody that was here today. And we will see you next week with another case. And uh, don't forget, don't forget. One last <laughs> thing to say, guys. Get yeah. ready to press that button. Yeah, I will. Case closed.